0: This is the John Oakley Show Podcast. All right, let's get down to the panel part of the program every weekday afternoon. At this time, topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636. Joining us on the line somewhere, parts unknown, Peter Sherman, broadcasted businessman, former MPP.
1: Sherman, you staying healthy? I'm staying healthy. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to cr- climb the walls. I'm doing a workout routine in my condo every day my, my trainer put it together and said this you can do without equipment and that's what i have to do do it the same as everybody else but i've got to stay in tone just like you anyway from my bunker to your bunker a hearty good afternoon
0: yeah and a good afternoon wow the guy's got a trainer david wills can you say the same for yourself senior vp of media profile that's a leading toronto public relations agency how's mr wills
2: I'm pretty good. I I don't have a trainer, but I'm uh, starting tomorrow morning. I'm doing an online fitness class. So I'm hoping I can do that sitting on the couch, but I got a feeling that that's not how it works. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, it's come to that, eh? Uh, an online fitness class, oh boy. Well, you know, this is the whole point and purpose of trying to endure so that we can get past this and get back to some sense of normalcy. And yet, you know, uh, it's happening only a piecemeal that some people are actually paying attention to the directives from the health authorities, and so earlier today, the mayor was saying yet again, well, we're going to get serious this time. I got a squad, a blitz squad going out there, and they're going to find people $750. bucks. i am thinking, you know, this is still kind of incrementalism. The stakes are too high. Maybe it's time to uh, implore or impose a stay-at-home mandate, a national emergency act. I know that's draconian. It smacks of martial law. Only last time we did it was in the 70s, I guess, with the uh, War Measures Act. But is it time, Peter Sherman?
1: It is time. In fact, it's overtime. And And if you don't believe me, just look to New York. I know New York is not Toronto, but we're called the New York of Canada. We have about, generally speaking, half of what they've got in population, which is still a healthy number of millions. And uh, we, we got a later start, but we got a later start on everything, including importation of the virus itself. I, I think it's great to hear... Uh, John Tory say, you know, hurry up and do it. And you can hear the frustration in his voice. Where was Bill de Blasio? And every day I hear people tell me, for example, that the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, boy, is he acquitting himself when he explains in these long speeches that are carried on television what he's doing in in the state of New York. And I say to myself, where were you... Two months ago, what were you thinking? Two months ago, because now you've got this problem. And maybe if you'd locked everything down in a city that is, uh, I guess, it's nigh on nine million, if you'd done that then, maybe you wouldn't have this now. And I'm not trying to blame anybody for this hideous situation, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But um, you know, every day that goes by uh, is, is a tick of the clock. And uh, I think we're going to hear tomorrow, I don't know anything about the inside of it, but uh, we're going to hear some figures tomorrow from our premier uh, in his new news conference, and I don't think we're going to like them very much. And that's, well, that's about, what I said. yeah, I think I was, that's about social, social distancing in the most severe terms, and that means you get to do what I've been doing under quarantine, and what you're doing voluntarily, you stay home. Well, that's just it. You know, you allude to the numbers. He says
0: people are going to see some stark numbers. That's a direct quote. Uh, there's going to be a wake-up call tomorrow. So does that give you a pause, or does that reinforce the need to uh, really go draconian here? You know, I call it the nuclear option, David Wills, but uh, is it past time?
2: I, I think I'm going to agree with Peter uh, on this. I think Uh-oh. it is past time. The, You know, I think the worst thing that can happen with overreacting is that we get out of this faster. You know, like that. Like that's the that's the only downside. Uh, I think in places where they flinched a little bit, uh, like New York, you know, they, you know, one of the problems with New York is it's so dense because it, you know, while we're twice they're twice our size in population, we're twice their size in geographic area, so they're very dense. So, uh, like they you know, these viruses spread very quickly in those dense populations. But I think when we heard what we heard yesterday from Toronto's medical officer of health, is that we are on a bad trajectory. Uh, You know, we are not uh, heading in a right direction. Things are not going our way and we're going to see bigger numbers. And I think what, what, you know, Peter talked about with the the premier releasing uh, different numbers tomorrow is that our data collection is not great. We're not testing very many. We're, you know, we're slowly chopping through this background. We weren't ready for this. And so our data is bad. And with bad data, you make bad decisions.
0: Well, I think that's uh, really one of the game changers is comprehensive testing so that we know uh, basically the status of individuals that may be kind of taking things casually. And yet if they're carrying the contagion, it's just like a a couple of degrees of separation. Next thing you know, you've got uh, outbreaks, like, for example, uh, eight outbreaks in retirement homes in the city and uh, 26 outbreaks in long-term care facilities, 19 deaths. I mean, this is just... And if the numbers are going to be more stark and worse tomorrow, uh, hopefully that is a wake-up call. The reason I'm saying, too, that you need some kind of a consistent plan, coast-to-coast, even because in Quebec, and Peter, you know what it's like there in Western Quebec, people are trying to dodge, get into Ontario. Uh, you got the Premier restricting cross-border traffic. Does that
1: serve a purpose? What does that tell you? It doesn't serve a purpose at all. As a matter of fact, I'm going to let you in on a, a personal and private story. And I don't mind putting it out there. My, my wife has a, an aging mom in Montreal, and she's ill. And it's one of those illnesses where the treatment either works or it doesn't work. And she, they desperately want to see each other, and they're limited to FaceTime. And if we could, we'd get in the car and we'd drive down the road, or we'd get on a train and we'd go to Montreal to spend some time with her. Because, you know, I don't, who knows how much time there is. And if, if compli- we can't do it anyway, but if complicating the matter, is putting a, a, a Quebec provincial police officer at the border asking me questions about whether or not I have a cough or any of that nonsense. This is one country, or it's not one country. And if it's not one country, let's kick them the hell out of it in, in a couple of months.
0: I can understand your frustration. Yeah, it seems to me like it's such a, an arbitrary exercise of power that wouldn't really forestall... The problem here, I wanted to talk about some blind spots, you know, even when it comes to uh, the economic end of this equation. And, uh, for example, now this Emergency Benefit Act, uh, the portal's only going to be available in three to six weeks. David Wills, weigh in on this one. I mean, uh, all this package that had suggested there's going to be subsidies for business, for people who fall through the cracks, whether you were employed or not. This is where uh, three to six weeks, people can't wait on that. We had folks fussing big time and understandably so about rent being due yesterday. Uh, is the government dropping the ball on this?
2: I, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say they're dropping the ball, but I think they're they're making the process far too complex. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Like from what we know, and it's very limited, is that you have to prove that your revenues are down 30% compared to the same period last year. Here's a big problem with that. Our economy grew in the last year. We had a very strong economy. So compared to last year, a company could have had a big improvement because they got more business, they hired more people, and their revenue dropped from last month by 30%. But compared to last year, it wasn't a drop at all. Are they not eligible for the subsidy, and therefore those people just get laid off? So I think there's these gaps that are in there that have to be worked out. To me, the better response would have been make the program available so any business can apply, and you tax it back. So, you know, you've got to make sure that you're not just giving a subsidy that flows through into corporate profit, and you put that in as a tax on the, on the back end. Because these subsidies are meant to keep companies whole. And if we can keep them breaking even and staying afloat and keeping people employed, that's all a good thing and we'll come out of this faster. But if they get abused and they're just lining pockets, that's bad. But they can do that easier, just make it available. Companies can choose yes or no whether they go in. And if they take too much you know, out of caution, it gets taxed back later. And I think that's simple. And instead, they're getting all these criteria, which is going to bog it down.
0: And the criteria also uh, may become somewhat confusing because we were talking last hour. For example, you've got employees that are you know well into six figures. Uh, maybe you know a very professional operation that you've got there, high tech, uh, legal office or whatever. So seventy-five percent of uh, fifty-eight thousand seven hundred isn't going to get it done. And if the company is expected without cash flow to meet the other twenty-five percent, even then, I understand. You know, in uh, tough times. You may not have the same standard of living as you did previously. Is that going to make people whole, though, Peter Sherman, or is that one of the gaps? I'll cite you another one very quickly where I got an email from somebody who's a student who's graduating and was promised a job. So based on that promise, you know, kind of started to lock into uh, getting a place and, you know, all of the drill. Uh, But they can't show any record of employment there. It was basically all predicated on a promise. These are some blind spots in that, uh, that solution being offered up to people.
1: Blind spots doesn't even begin to describe it John and and you know it's uh, a dovetail into what David was talking about with regard to the criteria that apply to businesses and how you measure apples to apples. And uh, he didn't say it, but I'll say it, the difference, for example, between the restaurant business and uh, a business that sells, for example, uh, haute couture dresses to women or or, uh, men's clothing. One's going to survive and the other one's not going to survive. So what are you going to do? Provide 75% to everybody when in the restaurant business and every other business for for that matter, people are laid off. But ultimately, what you want to do is try to keep them employed. Now you jump to what you're talking about and uh serb versus ei i happen to know somebody who uh, uh is in a business that's uh, particularly volatile and got an early furlough and and the furlough was a 60-day layoff whether or not that 60 days will become 120 i suspect it will will it become permanent i don't know um, but this person also um is in the six-figure range and worked very hard to get there and uh was uh, at this point looking for homes on the basis of pre-approval of a mortgage, all of that just went right out the window. And to to add insult to injury, no longer uh, available to ei has to take SERB, and SERB makes uh him have a a, a salary equivalent to fifty eight when he's making six figures. So I, I'm not. I'm not. People are going to say, "Well, why is he crying for a guy who's making six figures?" People work very hard to get to those levels, and then all of a sudden, they're told you can't have the life that you carefully saved for and planned for. And that's what's wrong with all of these regulations. Now, I recognize, and I think David probably, he can speak for himself, recognizes, and so do you and our listeners, that uh, in these tough times, you have to make decisions, even government has to make decisions, that take care of people on a very quick basis. They haven't. In fact, they can't even apply the decisions that they've made. They have to go back to Parliament and reenact things because what they put together doesn't work. I I think if uh, if, if you're going to delay it, so that people don't get a dime for the next four weeks. Maybe you could have taken two more days and done it in such a way that businesses could be compared on an apples-to-apples basis. People could have been measured against what they were achieving versus what somebody else is achieving. There are just so many ways to do it, and uh, right now what we've got is spiraling unemployment, nobody being compensated for their unemployment, not even correctly. They're not being compensated at all, and a plan that's supposed to save businesses that in some uh, cases weren't worthy of saving because they were going bankrupt anyway i'll pick up
0: on that in a moment uh as to unemployment i got an interesting email here from somebody who's trying to put in the claim uh it does open up a whole pandora's box of an argument when it comes to uh, service canada centers so we'll get into that and uh, more topics worthy of discussion in a moment with our panel peter sherman broadcasted businessman former conservative mpp and david wills senior vp of media profile that's a leading toronto public relations agency